For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. You know, I have done this opening so many times that I don't even think, I just say it. And sometimes my words get ahead of me, and today they did just a little bit. So today, I'm going to be joined by Alex Tubi, and we're going to explore Instagram content strategy, specifically how to create content that draws customers and prospects to you. You're going to find a lot of tips. You're really going to love it. By the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you want to email me, I'm podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And one last thing, are you new to this show? Hit the subscribe button. I got some amazing content coming your way. Here's Michael's tip of the week. Do you lead a team or run a company and you find that there's problems that seem to be cropping up constantly? For example, some people aren't getting their work done in a timely manner or people are operating in their own little world and not working with the team. Well, as you probably know, this is very common. There's absolutely nothing wrong if that happens because that's generally the nature of what happens almost everywhere. So over the years, I have developed really six expectations that I have worked with my team on and trained them on. And I'm going to share them with you in just a second. But the key thing is to come up with You can model these expectations or come up with your own. But what I do is I make everyone print them out. I make sure they're in front of their computer and then I make them commit to these expectations and I explain what these expectations are. And I'm going to go through all six of them right now and at the end explain how it's going to help you when you run into problems in the future. First and foremost, clear communication. I find that that is at the core of almost every problem is unclear communication. So I explained to everybody how important that is and I get them to agree with that. Secondly is follow through. Follow through is so important, right? So if they say they're going to uh, accomplish something by two o'clock, that they follow through and make sure it gets done, right? Or if they say they're going to follow up with someone that they follow through. So follow through is very, very, very important in my organization. Be timely. That's number three. Be timely means that you're someone who will get it done quickly. Fourth, do what you say. Fifth, ask for help. And sixth, remember we're a team. So clear communication, follow through, be timely, do what you say, ask for help, and remember we're a team. Now, here's how these things can work magically together to allow you to accomplish a lot of things. Let's say something goes wrong. You might be able to identify that it's because there wasn't a follow through. 
perhaps you did clearly communicate with that person, but they did not follow through. Or perhaps they weren't timely. Then you can go back to that person and you can say, hey, I noticed you didn't follow through. And I noticed that uh, you weren't timely. Did you remember that there's a couple of escape clauses in these agreements? Ask for help. You didn't ask for help. And you need to remind them that it's okay if you don't understand to come back and ask for help. Also, you can remind them that we're a team, right? Which means we work together. So the first three, clear communication, follow through, be timely, do what you say. All three of those are really intertwined. But the last two are the critical ones. Ask for help and remember we're a team. So I found that I've got these up on the wall. Everybody's got these up on the wall. And whenever we have a problem, it gives me permission to kind of have a coaching moment with anybody on my team and say, all right, what was the source of the problem? Is it because so-and-so didn't follow through? Is it because someone isn't timely? Is it because they didn't do what they said they were going to do? So on and so forth. So these expectations work really well for me and perhaps they'll work really well for you. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Alex Tooby. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Alex Tooby. If you don't know who Alex is, you need to know who she is. She's an Instagram strategist who specializes in helping female entrepreneurs promote their businesses using Instagram. Her course is called the Instagram Ivy League. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Today, Alex and I will explore how to create content on Instagram that attracts your ideal clients. And I'm really excited to talk about this because... I don't think we've talked about this really in a very long time on my show. But before we go there, I would love to hear your story. How did you get into Instagram marketing? Start wherever you want to start. (laughs) Okay, sure. Thank you. I mean, I won't go all the way back, but I will touch on some pivotal points that I think kind of got me to where I am now. So I grew up in a household where my dad and my brother were both entrepreneurs. So I think I was sort of destined from the beginning to follow a similar path. Um, so in my life, I went through a lot of nine to fives and I just found that it just was not for me. I just struggled so much with reporting to someone and punching a time clock when I came into work and most specifically having to ask for time off. This was something that really, really bothered me as I was growing up, you know, going on a trip and having to ask someone if it was okay for me to do that was just something I couldn't deal with. (laughs) So eventually I decided to quit my job and just give myself a chance to follow my entrepreneurial dream. And at the time, I didn't really know what that was, but I had some money saved up. So I was prepared to kind of, you know, go at it for a few months. And worst case, if it didn't work, I would just get a part-time job. How long ago did you decide to go off on your own? You remember what year that was? That was 2014. So coming up on, yeah, six plus years. So yeah, at that time, I didn't really know like what my plan was. I just knew that like I had to give it a real shot. And for me, I couldn't do that at the same time as doing my nine to five. So as I was saying, like, I'm I'm very lucky that I did at a young age where I didn't have any dependents or anything like that. And I was able to sort of take the risk. So at the time, I was using social media personally, and was pretty comfortable with it. I felt it was intuitive to me. And I, you know, thought that I could help people with their social media. So I decided to start a little one man social media consultancy. 
from there, I got a couple gigs off Craigslist that were just, you know, small and some local um, other entrepreneurs and like community management kind of stuff. Or what were you doing exactly? Yeah, I was basically helping them plan like what they would post on Facebook and what they would post on Instagram. And like back then we were talking about Google Plus and like Twitter and all of these platforms that don't seem to truly exist anymore. Um, So I was just sort of helping them, you know, improve their presence and, you know, a sort of a version of what I'm doing now, but it was for multiple different platforms. But what I realized over time was that I was basically in the same position as I was with my nine to five. I was working for them and I was spending all of my time building their social media and building their businesses and not focusing on mine. So I decided to kind of reel it in. I decided to let go of the Facebook, the Twitter, the Google Plus and focus specifically on Instagram, which at the time I just, you know, had a calling for. I really liked it. And that was probably one of the biggest decisions I made in my career that got me to where I am now. It took me from being a generalist and made me a specialist. And at that time, there was very few people doing Instagram marketing. And so that really like helped catapult my business. Now, how many years have you been doing the Instagram only focused marketing? Almost a full amount of time. Oh, wow. So right out of the gate, you realized, okay, I don't want to do everything. I want to just do Instagram. So you've been doing Instagram almost the full six years. Yeah, exactly. Which is like, you know, at this point, you know, we talked a little bit in our pre-chat last week about how I'm sort of moving away from Instagram and I want to teach more platforms and sort of apply my marketing tactics across other social media. So it's funny that I'm coming full circle, but I think when you're building a business, it's smart to start niche and, you know, expand later. So that really definitely worked for me. So yeah. So bring us up to the present. Like, what are you doing now? And tell us a little bit more. Sure. So, you know, I'm still doing Instagram specific services, but now I'm in course creation. So I do want to tell you one funny thing that happened along the way, which was creating my Instagram account, men and coffee. So it's exactly what it sounds like. It's good looking guys drinking coffee. And it was just a silly idea that came up with a girlfriend and I one night, but it really catapulted my business because in about three months, I had 10,000 followers and I really learned a lot of the skills that I have now through this account. And at that point, the Daily Mail reached out to me and they wanted to write an article on it. And then it like went viral from there. It was featured on like BuzzFeed, Time, Business Insider, and even printed in Cosmopolitan magazine. (laughs) So that really gave me some clout and some experience in the Instagram marketing world that I now use, you know, to sort of back me and give me some social proof. Obviously, I've taught many other people since then, but it really, really did help me kind of get to where I am now. So Over that time, I ended up creating some courses because obviously working one-on-one is great, but you only have so many hours in the day. So I switched to the course model and I had a few and I've now since merged them all into one core offer, which is the Instagram Ivy League. And that basically brings us to where we are now. Awesome. Awesome (laughs) story. So what I'm hearing you say is you're working the nine to five and working for the man, quote unquote, decided to go off on your own and started working for other people. And then along the way, focused in specifically on Instagram, really narrowed it down. And on that journey, started experimenting with things like this men drinking coffee Instagram account. Is that still around, by the way? It is actually, but I don't give it a whole lot of attention these days. So it it was sort of my catalyst, but now it's just... Yeah, that's cool. And now really what I'm hearing you say is you're focused in on helping other people figure out how to use Instagram through your courses and you're going to be expanding into other platforms. Does that sum it up? That sums it up perfectly. So 
first of all, awesome that you've been spending so much time on Instagram because it's a very, very hot platform right now, as you know. And one of the things that what we're really, really going to focus on today is the content side of this, right? right? So what I would love you to answer is why is content or a content strategy so important for businesses when it comes to Instagram? Because I think a lot of people on Instagram, like myself, have a really horrible strategy. <laughs> like, I mean, our company has a good strategy, but me personally, I don't think I have a very good strategy at all. So talk to us a little bit, maybe who aren't really doing it right. Like, why does that matter so much when it comes to Instagram? Sure. I mean, I think that your Instagram content ultimately is what makes people want to buy from you. So when you do it right, it actually helps build your like, know, and trust factor, which I'm sure you've heard of before, which is incredibly important in marketing and for any consumer deciding whether or not they want to spend their money with you, right? So typically in today's age, what I've noticed is that consumers are going straight to social media to look up a new brand that they just heard about to see, you know, whether they're legit or if they have some positive comments or maybe just look a little bit more at what they're selling. So if you're not showing up on Instagram or you've got no content or even worse, it's bad content, then you're definitely doing your business a disservice. So that's definitely why I want to share with you guys my content strategy today. So you can make sure that, you know, the effort you are putting into your Instagram is paying off. Perfect. So would it be fair to say that our Instagram content is almost as important as like our blog content for those of us that are bloggers or our podcast content or our video content if we're over on YouTube? Is there any analogies between the types of things we publish on Instagram versus these other platforms I mentioned? Um, yeah, I think it's similar. Like a lot of people will say that Instagram is like microblogging. I think the big difference though is that the lifespan of an Instagram post isn't quite as long as a blog or a video. You know, with search engine optimization, obviously you can get a lot more traffic to some of those more pillar pieces of content than you can with Instagram, right. which is why like it's important that if you do take the time, because it takes time and energy to make an Instagram caption or content, um, that you do it right so that the people who do see it, it does make that impact that you want it to have. Right. So. Perfect. Well, let's, let's dive in on your strategy when it comes to content on Instagram. Where do you want to start? Okay. Well, we can start high level, just give you a little brief overview and then we can break it down. Perfect. So my content strategy is threefold and it includes your caption, your imagery, and your frequency. And if we have time today, we can maybe talk about the fourth part, which is reach. But when done correctly, you're writing a caption that shows off expertise, authority, and building that like, know, and trust factor. Your imagery is getting people to stop scrolling and actually pay attention to you. And your frequency is giving you an easy to stick to schedule that your audience can count on and that the algorithm actually loves. So that's sort of where we're going to go. So caption, image, and frequency of publishing on Instagram is really the core things that we're going to be talking about. So let's start with captioning. Okay. First of all, why is captioning so important before we talk about what to do with captioning? Maybe that's worth talking about just for a second. Sure. I mean, as I mentioned before, I think it's what really helps sell whatever it is that you're selling, you know, whether it's like it could be a personal blog and you're just trying to get people to follow along with your life and maybe you don't actually have a product at the end of the day, you're still trying to sell that, right? So your caption is really what gets people connected to you, gives them a reason to follow you, gives them a reason to come back to your feed and ultimately invest in whatever it is that you're offering. Now, as people are scrolling through the feed on Instagram, how much of the caption 
is visible versus before you have to hit like a, whatever it is more or what, I forget what it is, but is it just a yeah. tiny little amount? Do you know how much it is? Yeah, it's like, I'm sure there's a character count, but it's basically a, a sentence and a half. <laughs> is it like about two lines of content on Instagram yeah. or something like that? Okay. It's two lines, but they take away a little bit for the read more button. So I say one and a half. <laughs> so does that mean we have to write something succinct like we would on Twitter or is there more to it? Like talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So basically like the first part of the structure that I want to share with you guys is having like a strong opening headline, which will encourage people to click that read more button, right? So the idea is to have a one sentence, have one sentence that is extremely interesting to them and encourages them to want to open that read more button and read the rest of it. So I can give you an example of that. Well, let me ask you this question though, before we get into the headline, okay, is there anything we need to know about the writing of the caption overall before we yes. t think of the headline? If there is, like, tell us what are the macro things we got to be thinking about All before right. we go and write a caption? Okay, okay, let's back up. So as I mentioned a couple of times, you want your caption to position you as an authority, sort of build your brand, show off your expertise. So there's two main types of captions that I suggest you write for best results. And those are either conversion-focused captions or conversation-focused captions. Okay, so conversion focused caption capitalizes on providing value through education, which helps viewers and potential customers make the decision to buy or take the next logical step in your particular funnel. Whereas a conversation focused caption capitalizes on storytelling, which evokes emotion in the viewer, leading them to either relate to what you're saying, reply to you or reshare it with other people. What's the ratio of uh, conversion focused versus conversation focused? If we were putting together, you know, a bunch of posts or whatever, is, should we focus more on one or the other or 50-50 or what's your thoughts? I think it highly depends on what your niche is. So for example, like an e-commerce brand might find it a lot easier to focus on conversion focused content where they're providing um, education rather than trying to tell a story. So there's no like hard and fast rule of, how much you should do of either. It's just, these are my two main suggestions. And if you just do one, that's fine. It'll work for you. But if you can mix them, obviously that's better, but it's sort of just at the end of the day, I want it to be easy for you to create content. I don't advocate like being on Instagram all day long or spending hours and hours a week trying to work on your content strategy. I want it to be easy and flow. So whatever works best for you, choose that one. Perfect. So I'm assuming when we say conversion, focused. And when then we use the word education, there's, there's obviously education leading to a sale. And we're probably going to get into that with the structure that we're going to talk about. Is that a fair assessment? That's fair. Perfect. So let's go to the headline. Like, tell me more about the headline. I've got a million questions, but I'll let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So fair enough. So we already mentioned that you're only going to see a couple lines of text when you're scrolling through your feed. So we want to make sure that we're writing something that actually gets people to stop and want to read your caption. Because if you spend all this time writing this ama amazing caption and then they just scroll right past, then it was a waste, right? So I like to start with either a question, a bold statement, or a cliffhanger. These mm. are the three types of things you can do to kind of get people's attention. So an example would be last year, I made 250K doing this one simple thing, dot, dot, dot. That now, sounds like a cliffhanger. Is that right? Right. Okay. Most people are going to be pretty curious about what that thing is, right? right so they're right, going right. to read more and now they're, they're hooked in. 
Um, alternative thing is like, you know, say you're a brand selling a, a product, you might say the one ingredient that makes our product better than the bet, the rest. Mm. Okay. So again, something that makes people curious. So, and oftentimes I will do this in all caps and I might even use expressive emojis or a down pointing arrow or just something that catches their eye. So it's kind of clickbaity. It's kind of YouTube title esque. And, you know, at the end of the day, you just want them to be interested. Love it. Now the bold statement, what is that? Um, A bold statement would be like, you know, sometimes I say unpopular opinion. Instagram is easy because Ah, people are like, no, it's not. Okay, (laughs) perfect. What is this crazy lady talking about? So then they have to read. So obviously specific to your unique niche, but those are my three things. Uh, Question, bold statement or cliffhanger. Now, before we go to the next thing that logically would come after the headline, the question I want to ask is carriage returns. I remember back in the day, it wasn't easy to do carriage returns. Is it easier now? Because I kind of remember you had to force them or something like that into one big paragraph. Do you recommend it be just one big paragraph or do you have line return? Or maybe I'm just hallucinating, but yeah, talk to me. (laughs) No, Instagram has always made it really difficult to have proper paragraph spacing, but it is extremely important because if someone sees just a big block of text, they're not going to be interested in reading that. That's just like human psychology. I think these days you can do it inside of the app, but I personally use a scheduling app called Later and they just handle it. I write my caption in there and then when it publishes, it looks perfect. Perfect. Um, The alternative is you can actually Google invisible character and it's just basically an invisible character that you paste in between your paragraphs so that there's an actual space there and people can read it much more easily. Awesome. What comes after the headline? All right. So then after the headline, we're basically in like the meat of your caption. And this is where you're going to deliver on the statement that you made in your headline. And it's also where you're going to try and connect with your audience through the storytelling or education, depending which which way you're going. So we always want to keep that in mind that that's the goal that you want to educate or you want to tell a story and get them to relate, reply or reshare. So how much room do we have to kind of accomplish that? I mean, are we just talking like a very short amount of text or are we talking like like paragraphs or, you know, how much written word can we put inside of there? I think the limit is actually a thousand characters, but you probably won't write that much, but you could if you want. I don't think that there's technically a limit. I think that if you are writing something that's interesting and is like progressing, like if you're telling a story and you're not really getting anywhere, then people aren't going to read the whole thing. But if you're progressing through a story that's, you know, showing a journey from here to there, then people will read to the end. And I treat it, like we said earlier, kind of like a micro blog where, you know, it, it's got a beginning, a middle and an end and it's it's structured and it's got proper grammar and special spacing. And it, it's easy to read just like you would put the effort into on your blog. Right. So I don't think that like a shorter or longer one performs better, but I do think if it's too short and you're not providing any value, then it's not going to perform as well. So the goal in the conversion focused example that you talked about mm-hmm. is to educate, right? So I don't know if you've got one handy or you can make one up on the fly, but talk to us about like how we can educate with this caption, like maybe give us an example. Sure. So what I always say is that like an educated 
person is more likely to purchase your product. So you're not necessarily trying to sell to them. You're just trying to say like, hey, these are the benefits of my product or this is what we put in our product, which makes it superior. So it's just, it doesn't have to be like super salesy by any means. It just sort of helps lead you to the sale. So for me, I typically like to use a bulleted list. And this again is going to be you know, perfect for anyone who's trying to educate. And I like it to be tips and tricks. I like it to be facts, um, a list of ingredients that I'm using, like I said, benefits that they might receive, or maybe a goal that they might achieve by implementing whatever you're trying to sell. So it's a little bit hard to like give you specifics because I feel like there's so many different industries listening. Well, if we, let's just say for yourself, like, let's just think of yourself, like you're selling your audience of female entrepreneurs, give us an example of what you might do for yourself. Right. Okay. So I would have my headline that's like, last year I made 250K doing this one simple thing. Then I'd have what I like to call, you know, like the intro. Like I like to think of my caption kind of like an essay. So I'd have a little sentence that sort of supports that. So, you know, maybe I would say, you know, last year I was struggling to pay my bills, but then I started focusing on myself and I, you know, set myself up with a routine that I do every single day. And now I'm making way more money in my business and here's what it is. Then I would go into the meet, which is a bulleted list. And I'd say every morning I wake up at 6 a.m. I spend time doing my skincare and my hygiene to, you know, focus on myself. And then I schedule out using a Pomodoro method. And, you know, I'd go on like that and just basically provide the value that someone came there to get. So perfect. I love it. Now, if you were doing a story based version, that almost sounds like that could be both. It sounds almost like hybrid, right? Because you're telling a story there, right? Yeah. So it definitely sort of starts the same way. And then if I was going the conversation focused caption route, I would just ditch the bullets and I would tell them more of like how I transitioned from, I would focus more on that, like where I was before and how shitty that was and how, you know, I was just not feeling it. And then what happened in the middle, what changed my mind, what changed my action and what that led me to. So I would just focus a little bit more on the journey rather than the specific points that helped me achieve X, Y, Z. Okay. So how does that help create conversation just out of curiosity? I guess the idea is that, you know, apart from this content strategy, whenever you're writing captions or you're writing a blog or a YouTube video, whatever it is, you're doing it for a specific target market, right? So you should be familiar with who your market is and hopefully the story that you're telling is going to relate to them. So I I have an audience where obviously they would love to make 250K a year. So if I can share with them how I was able to do that, they might be like, oh, well, that seems simple. I can wake up at 6 a.m. and, you know, do all of those things, or it's going to get them to reply. Okay. So they might have questions about how I did that or what product I'm using or, you know, who I learned from, et cetera. Or they might just be like, wow, this is incredible. You are inspiring. I'm going to share this to my Instagram story. Love it. Okay. We talked about the headline and we talked about the sections of the core content. Is there anything else specifically related to the caption that we did not talk about? Yes. The most important part of your caption is the ending, which needs a very important element that is a call to action. Okay. Your call to action is going to encourage your viewer to then take the next logical step. So 
it, like I just said, maybe we want them to reply. So maybe we're going to tell them to comment below. Maybe we want them to share it. So we'll say tag a friend who needs to see this or the most popular and one that I recommend most people use is get them to click that link in your bio. Okay. Mm, okay. But what I see a lot of people do is they'll just like write this amazing caption and then at the end be like link in bio and like ditch all grammar and sentence structure and just paste this weird link in bio sentence when what you should be doing is being explicitly clear about what you want them to do. So I want you to click the link in my bio to go to my website and view my new course that teaches you exactly how to do this step by step. Or I want you to click the link in my bio to explore our product and all of our unique ingredients that make it special. Mm. And you don't get penalized by the algorithm by specifically telling them, for example, to leave a comment, to share it with a friend or to go to the bio that you're aware of. It doesn't seem to be a problem. Is that correct? I heard that come up recently that they were limiting like engagement bait but I don't think that that applies in this sense, because at this point, you've written at least 300 characters or something like that, let's just say. Right. And now you're asking a typical call to action. I think that that's perfectly fine. And if it's not, then Instagram needs to like get it together. Cause that's Yeah. Well, you could get creative too, right? Like, let me know what you think would be the equivalent of saying comment below, right? And sure. it's not nearly yeah. as like direct or check out my bio. Yeah. Check out the new course in my bio, right? You almost said link in bio. I know, <laughs> but it's probably worth just experimenting with it just a little bit because I know Facebook proper, the parent company has been very explicit about this language. So I don't know whether it's applied over to Instagram. I do know that Mark, I mean that Adam Masari, who used to run the feed for mm. Facebook is the head of Instagram now. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, yeah. if, if some of this stuff is like considered not so smart. So maybe just get a little creative with it. Well, this mm -hmm. has been super, super Super helpful. So I think we have a good macro perspective on the caption. Okay. I would love to talk about the image now. Like, so let's just assume, I'm assuming we should start with the caption in mind or do we start with the image in mind? Talk to me about that. For sure. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's going to be up to you, whatever makes sense for you. But for me, I've always written the caption first because I feel like it makes it easier to find a photo that sort of goes with it. Mm. And at the end of the day, your photo does not have to like communicate exactly what you've said in your caption. That's fine. But if for some chance or some way you could get a, an image that does relate to your caption, then obviously that works well. So the options you have are obviously you could use an image or what I suggest is that it's a, an image of a person. These perform best on Instagram. So whether it's a picture of you or the employee or even your customers, photos of people work really well. So you could focus on an image or you could do a video or make a graphic. You could use a carousel or you could even use a stock photo. So it's kind of up to you at the end of the day based on your current abilities and resources. So for me, I used stock photos for a long time at the beginning because I didn't know how to take photos and I didn't have any photos of myself. So hmm. as I've evolved, now I am better at taking photos and I can sort of gather that content. But before I couldn't. So I focused on stock photos. Do you have a recommended resource for stock photos? I like Unsplash a lot. And there's also Pexels. I think there's a lot that have popped up recently. And I am constantly surprised by how good the photos are. Like back in the day, you used to not be able to find good stock photos, but now it's like incredible, perfect, Instagram worthy. You don't even have to touch it up or change anything about it. And they're completely free. What was the name of that second one? 
Pexels, P-E-X-E-L-S. Perfect. So um, let's just say we're going to use some photography. Mm-hmm. Let's say we're going to take some pictures maybe with our smartphone or whatever. Do you have any suggestions? Like, it, let's just assume it's going to be us or one of our staffers or something like that. Because uh, you said using pictures of people works best. Let's say you wrote that caption, the one you mentioned earlier about your story, right? And yeah. what kind of an image would you couple with that kind of a caption? Sure. Again, a photo of me, I would probably be laughing or I would be in my office or, you know, maybe it's a even a screenshot of, you know, my bank account, something like that. It really depends on like how much impact you want to make and also what you've posted on your feed prior. Okay. If I've never posted a graphic before, then maybe it doesn't make sense because it's going to look a little messy as a whole. But Again, I don't think that the like the photo is super important. Obviously, imagery is mega important. And that's actually what I mentioned earlier is what gets people to stop and actually read that headline and then go from there. So it does matter what it looks like in terms of the quality of it. So it needs to be really crisp and clear. It has to be exposed properly. And actually, also what I recommend is that it's tall. So Instagram allows you to post a square photo or a portrait format photo. And I will always suggest whenever possible to do the portrait format because it takes up more space on the screen. When you say portrait, yeah, is the portrait, the tall side is up or the tall side is on on its side? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, is yeah. it tall? Oh, okay. So you recommend a taller image. So do you have any kind of like uh, four by five or five by four or whatever? Like, I think it's 1920 by 1080 pixels. Uh, okay. The square is 1080 by 20. Sorry, 1080 by 1080. So got it. Yeah. Just so everybody understands that is like watching uh, television, but on its side, right? Because that's 1080 by 1920 is like what your typical right. TV screen is, right? So it's almost like that on its side. So do you get that in selfie mode on a phone? Or is it slightly taller when you do it that way? Yeah, I think nowadays, I mean, I use an iPhone and you can choose whether you want like a a regular photo is pretty much always that tall portrait mode, but you can choose square as well. So there's definitely an option there for most smartphones today. Okay. But when you actually go to upload your photo to Instagram, it will default to the square. And so in the bottom right hand corner of the image, there's a little icon that looks like two like brackets. And if you click that, it'll like go to portrait mode. (laughs) So does it crop any of it when it's in the feed or does it show the whole thing? tall like that in the feed. So it doesn't crop it in your feed, but it will crop it on your account as a whole. So this is also a point that I wanted to make that it's really important that one, you're using that tall portrait feature because it takes up more of the screen space and it gets people to stop. But you also want to look at your your feed as a whole and how does it look once it's inside of that square? Because if it is a picture of me and now I've cut my head off, then that's not gonna look good on my feed. So for that, Mm. I suggest using an app um, like Preview or Unum, U-N-U-M. And this is basically an app that allows you to pre-plan your feed so you can see exactly what it's gonna look like as a whole, which means you can see, you know, if photos aren't complimenting each other if something weird's happening and you're cutting off your head or if something just stands out in a negative way. Now, generally, does Facebook take a little off the top and a little off the bottom to make a square when it's tall like that? 
So like if you imagine that portrait selfie shot, right, and you put a square over the top of it, does the square go from the bottom to the middle or does it start in the middle and go up and down? Do you understand what I'm asking? Yeah, I think it's from the center out. So it will take a little bit off the top and a little bit off the bottom. So it means your face ought to be somewhere close to slightly above center, I would imagine, just to ensure that you're in that when when they look at your profile, it doesn't look strange. Yeah, but you can actually move it up and down to sort of support whatever you want the outcome to be. So oh, okay, cool. it does crop it like automatically it'll crop it out of the center, but then from there you can adjust, okay, I want to move it up or I want to move it down. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're getting super techie here, but this is kind of a shocker to me that you okay. should put the vertical image in the feed because I don't see so much of that. I see a lot of square stuff. And I think that's really awesome. That probably will be thumb stopping because not everybody's doing that. Is that a fair thing to say? Potentially, yeah. And I think it's it's really just taking up screen space. It's like, right. you have to look at me because you can't see anything else right now. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So anything else we need to know about images? Well, I did want to give just a few examples for like different types of brands. So obviously we talked about um, taking a photo of a, a human that always performs really well. But some other things to focus on, for example, say your clothing brand. I really like when brands take up close shots of their clothing to show off the materials or the patchwork or the stitch work, because again, you're, you're trying to sell your product, right? So you don't want to be like, yeah, here's my shirt. You want to be like, look at how well this shirt is made. So by zooming in and taking really high quality up close photos that can really communicate that to your audience. And then, you know, if you're a, say a a coffee brand or a coffee shop, you might want to post a video of the beans being roasted because this is going to give your audience an inside look at how your product is made. And then the last example is that say you're a coach or a service provider of some type, you might want to create a graphic out of a testimonial that you received. So there's a lot of different imagery that you can do depending on your niche and you just kind of have to get creative. When you say a graphic of a testimonial, Mm-hmm. Do you literally mean like a screenshot of the actual message you got? Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, you could do that. And what I like to do, if I take a screenshot, then I go into Canva or Photoshop or whatever you use and I get that tall portrait size so that I think it's 1920 by 1080. Mm-hmm. And I put the screenshot in the middle of it. So I'm still getting a tall photo and I'm getting my graphic where I want it to be and I want you to see it. Perfect. Yeah, doing both things at once. So... If we step back and we think about what we've talked about, we've talked about the caption, we've talked about the pictures. What about how often we should post and how we should maybe have some variance in the types of things we post? Talk to us a little bit about that. Sure. Yeah. So this is a great question and it brings me to the frequency part of my content strategy. And I think some people are going to find that it goes against what they've heard before. So I personally recommend to my students to not post every single day and rather to stick to two to three pieces of quality content per week. So it's not a hard and fast rule because I have people come to me all the time and say, oh, well, I post every day and it works perfectly fine. So if that's the case for you, that's totally fine. However, in my experience, posting more doesn't actually equal a better outcome. So instead, by posting less, we can actually improve the value of each individual post and use all that extra save time to get more eyes on our old content. So kind of increasing that lifespan that we talked about earlier. So when you say increase the value, I think you mean spend a little bit more time on it because you're doing less of it. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, exactly. 
So you're saying post two or three times a week, or do you have a certain day of the week or time of the week? Does that not matter? I mean, again, you're going to want to think about your target market. You know, what are they doing on the weekend? If they're a mom with young kids, you know, she's probably going out to the park or taking them to swimming lessons or something like that. So she might not actually be on social media on the weekends. You just really want to hone in on who your target market is because it plays a role in so many different parts of marketing. So I always think about that. When are they going to be online? When do they have time to read this and sort of post based on that? But also you can use apps again, like later for planning your post, they give you like a best time to post suggestion. However, those do have their flaws because they typically use data that is gathered from when you've posted before. So if you've never posted on a Saturday, then they're not going to tell you it's a good idea to post on a Saturday. So they're a bit flawed. And I think that it's best to just test everything and see what happens. What's the shelf life, in your opinion, of one of these posts? So this sort of plays into why I want people to post less because the Instagram algorithm favors new content. So every time you post a new post, the Instagram algorithm thinks your old content is not relevant anymore. So if you posted today and then you post again in 12 hours, then the lifespan of that first post is 12 hours. Whereas oh, if so the new overwrites the old is what I'm hearing you say. Basically, yeah, because Instagram's just like everybody's in the moment. We got to give them the hottest, newest content and whatever you posted yesterday is old news. Sorry. So by giving at least or I like to say 48 hours between posts, you're actually giving your content a much better chance of generating more engagement and impressions over that time span. Now, as far as like putting the calendar together, do you have any thoughts on like, do you do that? Do you batch this like for an entire month or what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, a smart, organized person would do that, but that's not really me. <laughs> so are you doing them literally uh, like once a week or are you doing them every other day just kind of spontaneously? What's your thoughts or strategy on that? Yeah, I mean, strategy wise, I think that you should be consistent in whatever you're choosing. So even if it's just one time a month, then just make sure that you're hitting that one time a month. So if it's two times a week, then maybe you're choosing, um, I'd say Monday and Thursday. So you've got a nice gap in between them. So Whatever you choose, it's just about being consistent with it so that your audience can get used to that. And the Instagram algorithm seems to like it if you're showing up regularly and showing that you're actually using the app in the way that they want you to use it. So for me personally, I'm, I always, <laughs> my dad would always say, do as I say, not as I do. So <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, okay. Real quick question. Yeah. I know there's, there's apps, but if I'm not mistaken, I think Facebook Creator Studio, I think is what it's called. Yeah. It does now allow you to, to, to schedule Instagram posts. Is that correct? It does. Yeah. So you don't need an app, right? You actually don't. Yeah. Instagram and Facebook are like, they're just trying to knock out every single other app and just keep you inside of their little conglomerate. So yeah, you can use um, Facebook Studio for free to schedule both Facebook and Instagram stuff. And I know it works on desktop, but do they have an app also on mobile? Um, that's a good question. I don't think so. I'm sure you can access it via mobile, but I don't think it's a separate app. So, okay, first of all, this has been absolutely uh, really, really, really fascinating. Is there anything else before I ask you the next question about engagement stuff that we missed as far as images uh, or uh, posting frequency? Or should we move right along onto my engagement question? Yeah, I think we can move along. Basically, just the points I wanted to make on the frequency was just that the Instagram algorithm part where, you know, they're favoring new content. So, 
if you leave your post as the newest piece of content, it'll get more engagement and that it just gives you more time. Like we all need more time to run every other part of our businesses. I know people are busy. So by posting less, you actually have more time for the engagement part that looks like we'll have time to share. You know what I forgot to ask is carousels. Yeah. Do you find carousels are any more or less effective than just putting an image up by itself? Carousels are unique because Instagram actually will show them more than once if someone hasn't gone through all of the posts in the carousel. So if I see your post and I look at the first one and then I scroll past, it might actually show it to me again and start on the second post. So I've tried them before because I figure, hey, well, if it's going to show me more than once, then that's better than what I usually get. But it didn't personally perform for me. So I think, you know, there's so many different moving parts with that algorithm that it's hard to say that it's 100% going to give you better engagement or more reach, but it's definitely worth trying. And my understanding is it's just one caption, but multiple pictures. Is that right? That's right. You can do up to 10 pictures and it could be a combination. It could be um, a picture and a video or multiple pictures or a graphic, whatever you want to do. Perfect. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about engagement because I would imagine engagement is really important for the algorithm. Is it important? And if so, what tips would you love to share with everybody? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely important. And with the algorithm, it's focused a lot on the first 24 hours. So you want to make sure that you can get as much engagement in that first little bit so that Instagram shows it to more people. So, you know, as I said, over time, you're going to gain more engagement on your post if you let it be your most recent one, but you still want to focus on getting as much engagement as you can in that first day and the first couple hours. So, To do that, the first thing that you want to focus on is, of course, hashtags. And I find people are often wasting time on the wrong hashtag. So I definitely want to give you guys a few tips that you can start implementing right away. So the first thing is that you need to use 30 hashtags on every single post. I don't care what anyone else says. (laughs) The more you use, the more reach you can generate. So sometimes you'll hear, oh, like 11 hashtags is better. But logically, it doesn't make sense. I always encourage you to use all of them so that you have the best chance of reaching the most people. Where do they go in the caption at the end or in the beginning? Good question. I actually put them in my comments. So this is always a question that comes up. People wonder, should I put them in the comments or put them in my caption? And my answer for that is that if you put it in your caption, you're basically giving your audience 30 reasons to leave your page. So (laughs) good point, right? Because they're all hot linked. I like that. That's a good point. For sure. Yeah. And they just might be like, oh, well, that's a cool hashtag. I'm going to click on that. Just as you do when you're on Instagram, you're in the rabbit hole already. So to click on a hashtag is not that out to lunch. So I just say, put them in your comments, hide them there. Obviously people will see them if they go to comment on your post. But at that point, we haven't intentionally made them leave. So put them in your comments. The other things are you don't want them to exceed 1 million posts. Wait, wait, what? What is it? What do you say that again? <laughs> you don't want the hashtag to have more than 1 million posts associated with it. Ah, okay. okay. All right. So when you look up a hashtag, it's going to tell you how many there are. And if it's got 10 million, the chance of your post staying at the top of that list is not going to happen. It's going to be there for a fraction of a second and then it's gone. So it's just a waste of a hashtag if they're too big. Does the hashtag help get in that uh, discovery tab? I forget, is that what they call it? You know, the tab where you search? Uh, Like the explore page? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. They all sort of link together, right? So the explore page has changed a lot over time. It used to be like 
any popular post, any post that was doing extremely well would go there. But now it's algorithm based. So what I see on my explore page is different than what you'll see. So there's that. And then it's also, you know, it's based on if I've liked a post by this person and someone else liked a post by that same person and we have a connection, then maybe I'll see a piece of content based on that. It's very complex. So if your post is doing better because you used hashtags, then yes, you have a better chance of getting on the Explore page, but it's not guaranteed. There's just like a lot more that's going on there. Any other engagement tips you wanted to mention other than the hashtags? Sure. So the other thing is cross-promoting. So once you've posted to your feed, you should share it to your Instagram story. You should post it on your Facebook page or in a public Facebook group if you're allowed to. You could tweet about it. You could make a Pinterest pin for it. Basically, anything you can do to get more eyes on that piece of content that you just put in all the hard work to write is worth your time. So when you say post it to Facebook, do you mean just using like you do with stories where you just click the button and it automatically goes to Facebook? Or are you talking about something different? Yep. You can use the app to share it directly to Facebook. I just suggest sometimes changing the wording, like instead of clicking the link in my bio, you're going to say, click this link and actually paste the link. Mm. So you just want to make sure that it makes sense for the platform that you're posting it on. But yeah, you can do it directly in the app. Perfect. And then if we have time, just the last one, which is super important, is that you're spending time every single day engaging with your target market. This is the first thing that people will say that they don't have time for, but it makes the biggest impact. So if you're liking someone, they're going to get a notification directly to their phone that says, Alex Tooby just liked your post. And that is very hard to ignore. And they're most likely going to come over to my feed and see that recent post that I just uploaded. So you definitely don't want to skip engaging with your target market daily. When you say the post, do you mean the comment in particular? No, I mean... In their notification, they'll see Alex Tooby liked something and then they'll most likely come to my profile. So, Oh, got it. You're talking about engaging with other people's posts, not necessarily engaging with the people that are commenting on your post or are you talking about the same thing? Yeah, I mean, you should reply to comments. <laughs> you should reply to people who have taken the time to comment on your content. Right. But yeah, you definitely want to do outreach because that's what's going to bring new people to your page. Yeah, that's a really good point because... You always get notified when that happens, don't you? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And yeah, so if you make an effort, if I like three of your posts, now I'm taking up three notification tabs or three notification lines on your phone. And it's the same idea as having that tall photo. Like I'm just making you pay attention to me. (laughs) What about tagging people in your post? You can do that, but don't tag people that aren't in the post or aren't relevant. That part happens to me all the time, which really frustrates me. (laughs) Yeah, that's just spam at that point. But if you're using like a certain product or a brand, um, you can definitely tag them and that can certainly help with getting them to see your content. And it also shows up on their posts that they're tagged in section on their profile, which is not often viewed by people, but it is there. Alex, we have uh, covered a huge amount of ground and I know there's so much more that you have to offer. If people want to discover you and more about what you've got going on, where do you want to send them? Sure. Um, I'm basically on the internet everywhere as Alex Tooby, so you can just look that up. But if you guys liked what we talked about today and want to learn more about Instagram from me, then I do have a free training and you can find it at alextooby.com forward slash SME. And for the record, it's spelled T-O-O-B-Y. That's so right. don't spell it T-O-B-E. <laughs> so go to Alex, A-L-E-X-T-O-O-B-Y, pronounced Alex Tooby. Alex, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights with us. On behalf of all of my listeners, it was amazing. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, there was a lot of stuff we mentioned and a lot of tools. If you missed any of it, you can find all the notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 431. And if you're new to the show, hit the subscribe button. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know that you like the show? Uh, if you want to do it on Instagram, you can tag me. I'm at Stelzner. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your fast-talking host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day. May social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.